Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. And today's guest is a specialist in disruption. As a founding partner of Innovation Ecosystems, he is recognized as a thought leader in system innovation. For over 40 years, he has worked with global firms facing threats of obsolescence, pioneering businesses in fast-changing markets, and international organizations tackling overwhelming challenges. His job, in a nutshell, run into burning buildings looking for exceptional opportunities. His work is practical, hands-on innovation. Whether you're trying to disrupt an industry, develop a creative new idea, or tackle seemingly unsolvable problems like climate change or a pandemic, he approaches these challenges through innovation that addresses real-world complexity and messiness. I like that idea of messiness because it seems like that's the world today. So please welcome system innovation architect and choreographer, Dan McClure. Hi, Dan. How you doing? Hey, not too bad, Gary. It's great to be here. You know, I don't want to forget this idea. You know, I've never had someone on the show with the uh, title of choreographer, but we're going to talk about that because that's something we talked about before that I don't want to miss. But before we do that, I'd like to understand 40 years of work in this business and innovation. What was the spark? What was the moment or the process that got you to where you are today? You know, with people with your passion and the things that you do, I always find there's there's something that happened that created this mental image, thought, emotion that uh, drove you to where you are today. Yeah, well, I think a big part of it is that I'm a person who has one dog trick. So there's really not a lot of things that I'm good at, but I'm really quite good at this, like, how do you put together a new version of the world? How do you connect together all the different parts of something? And the point at which I realized I needed to find a job doing that was after I got to the end of college, I was going to go into the Peace Corps and I was going to wander through the mountains of Nepal. And this was going to be my chance to like go out and build things in the real world, et cetera, et cetera. And then the Peace Corps kicked me out because I had an Audi belly button. And that turns out to be an umbilical hernia, which is not allowed in the Peace Corps. And therefore, I had to go get a real job. So and seriously, because of an Audi belly button, you didn't get accepted to the Peace Corps? Seriously, board. I would not make this up. So <laughs> okay. two months from, the, from graduation, my plans to go wander in the Himalayas were derailed. Yeah. The good news is that I got a great job as an engineer designing pipelines for a utility company in you know the city where I lived. And I started going to work and I've realized I'm not a very good engineer. Mm. Actually, you know, I didn't have the attention to detail. I couldn't add up columns of numbers. Um And so, in desperation, I began to program 
software to do my job because I wasn't very good at doing my job. And um, honestly, my boss wasn't thrilled with this. And so I was within maybe a few weeks of getting chucked out the door and the federal government deregulated the energy industry. And all of a sudden, this industry that had been the same for a hundred years needed to do something radically different. They needed to engage in open markets. They needed to build based on economic opportunity as opposed to guaranteed rate of return. And so they needed some software that would allow them to do that quickly. And voila, I had been developing that. And so instead of getting chucked out the door, I got myself an innovation team. And that innovation team allowed me to go and help, you know, play in the reinvention of this industry for 10 years. You know, it's funny as you talk about this, going from this vision of, of the Peace Corps, which is like one kind of a mission to make a difference in the world, to going to the being an engineer in the energy world, that to me almost sounds like a betrayal in, in, in a way, right? Yeah. Well, you know, there just were moments where I would sit at my steel case desk and look at the line of people going out towards the window. Mm-hmm. And it was a seniority thing, right? You know, the cl- older and longer you had been there, the closer to the window you got. And the guy sitting at the very end had to be like 700 years old. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh my God, that's my entire life laid out in front of me, desk by desk, moving out to the window. And this realization that you could reinvent the world, that you could be part of reinventing the world. You know, there's a Jessica Chastain quote that she talks about becoming an actor. Like, as soon as she knew it was a job, she knew it was hers. And as soon as I discovered that innovation, changing the world could be a job, I knew it was mine. Yeah, I can I can relate a little bit because I have a degree in engineering myself. And my greatest fear was somebody asking me to create something new and different that I had to engineer. I was like, oh, I no, I can't, I can't do it. I had similar challenges that you have with the level of detail and, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. I kind of get that and how situations in our lives kind of guide us towards a career or in, in your case, the the need to overcome some of the weaknesses of details and being able to figure things out cause you yeah. to write software to be able to overcome the things you couldn't do yourself. And that turned into a career. Yeah, Just like that, you planned, right? Well, and I think that's the exciting thing about this is, you know, when you end up in a changing world, you can kind of stumble into the life that you need. And whereas if it's if the world is really well structured and everything is is locked in place, it's much harder to like discover who you really are and where you fit. So here's what strikes me when you talk about this: this idea of creativity and innovation that was in you. Okay, it was in you. It was part of you. Oh yeah, absolutely. and you didn't know it was there yet. Okay, but you started using it when you were an engineer, and you there was a need. Tell me about what you had to do for yourself to innovate and create internally in order to be able to manifest that externally. You know, I think this is where there's a certain aspect of this dog trick thing. Mm. Um, 
I don't know that I needed to go through a real conscious process of like, I've got to raise myself up to do this. It's what I've been doing ever since I was in grade school. And when I talk to people who are like me in this, you know, we're going to talk about choreographers maybe in a little bit, but these these big picture thinkers who naturally sort of look at how you can change things in the world, they all describe this phenomena of they've always been like this, you know. But there had to come a moment when you realized that this. So here's one of the things that we do in our leadership program. We talk about focusing on your strengths. Yeah. Your weaknesses are never going to make you famous. Okay. It's just, yep. you know, and, and as a leader in some areas, you need members on your team that can pick up the slack for you because you're not good at it yourself. I have members on my team that watch the details and ask me questions to get me back on track. And I love it. But there has to come a moment when, when you recognize this strength as a strength, because more often than not, People do this so naturally, so automatically, it's so easy that they devalue that talent. They actually look at it and go, well, how do you do this? You go, oh, well, it's easy. Can't everybody do that? And the answer is no. When did, that, when did you realize that this was a talent for you? I think I have always seen that it was a special thing I could do. Mm. What I didn't realize is that it was a talent that had value in the world. Yes. And I think it's funny because when I talk about this with folks and I'll do presentations, you'll have people who literally run to the front of the room afterwards and they'll say, I finally, this is what I do. I've been doing this for years and I never had a name for it. And I think that sort of aha moment, not that I've got the talent, but the talent is a thing that has value. That was the big leap for me. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I, when I talk about skills, I said, look, I could be a world-class tiddlywinks player. So what? If it doesn't have any value, you know, who, know, who wants to watch me play tiddlywinks? But if you've got like you're saying, innovation, creativity, or a way of seeing the world that can make a difference and has value. Now, if, if, you know, there's a, there's a four part model around this, well, what's my passion? What's my mission? What has value and what will people pay me for? If I can find that in the center, I have a career and that's what you've done. Well, and I think it's interesting because we're getting signals throughout our entire life about what's valuable, right? And so mm. much of school values a very narrow set of skills. And as a result, you know, if you're a cross-cutting, non-detail thinker who likes to break things, um, that's not likely something that you've been reinforced for for many years. Mm -hmm. So it's not simply discovering it in the context of your workplace, but really, you know, learning how to embrace that whole history you've had being that person. Yeah, yeah. So how do you utilize that talent today, the, the work that you're doing as a system innovator? And let's talk about this concept that we've alluded to of the choreographer. Yeah. So let's talk about first the nature of the problem that, you know, most organizations face today. You know, for much of the 20th century, Henry Ford, Adam Smith defined the challenge that business faced was, how do you make something replicable, consistent, optimize the performance? It was all around locking things down and getting the details right. Mm. 
You know, management consultants told organizations to focus on one thing and get really good at it. And then we got to the end of the 20th century and into this 21st century, and particularly in this decade that we find ourselves now, and you see that the challenge that organizations face is that everything is being changed, not like getting a little bit better every year, but being completely transformed. Mm. And so when we talk about system innovation, what we're really talking about is imagine the world as a bunch of Legos that people can take apart and put together in new ways. And this is what organizations are being asked to do now. You know, they're not being asked to improve their billing system or, you know, shave another 2% off their, their performance. They're being asked to reimagine themselves. Mm. And so system innovators, who we've called choreographers, are really good at this taking the Legos apart and putting them back together. And that's the real skill here is basically the ability to see not specific problems, but entire systems of things that you can take apart and reassemble in new and powerful ways. So a lot of the work that I'm doing with leaders now with this pandemic and coming out of it and inflation and, you know, we're facing with supply chain, transportation, yeah. uh, challenges that we've never faced collectively before. And, and now we're seeing a lot of these all coming together at the same time. And to, to have a context of multiple problems at the same time, it's not new in the history of the world, but it's new for us because we haven't been through it before, right? And facing that. Well, but I think there's a second half. So there's system problems, you know, um, the pandemic highlighted, you know, lots of system problems. You can't do a, a, a test unless you have the swabs and you have the doctors and you have the access, you know. And so we've got lots of system problems. I think the big and the exciting part is that we now have the ability to use more powerful Legos to create system solutions. Mm. So let me do a quick example of that. Um MSF, Doctors Without Borders, has a program now where they're working with prosthetics for people who've been injured in conflict areas. And this is something that's, you know, there's a lot of exciting technology that's been done around it, but it's often inaccessible to the people who need it most. And so what they've done is they've said, I've got all these powerful Legos. How do I put them together in a new way? So they put maker technology in the field where so you can actually literally print out the prosthetic. But that's no good unless you've got somebody to design it. So they created a global network of doctors to help design these prosthetics. And of course, the doctors can't work unless they've got data. So they put in scanning technology locally to allow really detailed 3D scans to, you know, allow the doctor to design the right kind of prosthetic. And so they've created something that wouldn't be possible at any time prior in history, a global network of doctors providing those who need it most with really customized technologies. And it's a combination of people, technology, processes that all go together. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, we can do in any industry now. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because of the work that we're doing in leadership, we talk to people about not being flexible, but being fluid. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I think that some of the things that you're talking about in innovation is utilizing the, the resources, the materials, the, the technology, the ideas that we have that we're just using in different ways. So that's why you know, I like your idea of Legos. They're, they're right there in front of us. Yeah. We just don't always use them the way they, they the possibility of, of how they can be used. And I want to I want to talk about this idea of fluidity because one of the things that, that strikes me being an engineer and you use this idea of Legos that sounds restrictive to me in that metaphor and and I think it's a combination of of almost Legos and electrons and innovation and creativity and there's so many other pieces to this that maybe I'm not understanding that how you're putting all these pieces together. And I'm probably saying exactly the same thing here as I think about it. But um, I, I think that, pe- you know, there's stuff right in front of us sometimes that people don't see it. And that's what you help people do is to see the possibilities. Yeah. I think, you know, all metaphors are fraught, right? Because yeah. you're you're always going to come up to the edge of the metaphor where it doesn't quite work for the real world. Mm. Imagine Legos with personality. Ah. So you've got Legos that are technology that just do one things. You've got Legos that are bobbed down in accounting. You've got Legos that are international organizations. And when you start to see the world as things that can be brought together, there is so much potential. And so these Legos, because they have personality and because they have motivations and needs, you can't treat them just like a block you would assemble, you know, on yeah. your kitchen table. Yeah. You've yeah. got to basically recognize that if you're putting together a system, everyone needs a pony. You know, everyone gets a pony out of this system that you're Mm. creating. You know, the motivations and the incentives have to get everybody engaged. There has to be these reinforcing loops in there. And so it's, it's not as simple as just plugging things together. But in some ways, it's still a powerful metaphor because the idea that you can put all of these pieces of the world together in the ways that really solve a problem in a new way is incredibly powerful. Yeah, so I it's funny. I actually realized that my assumption around Legos is that they're they're solid. Yeah. And and the way you're describing them is they're more fluid. They're 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 flexible. They're like you said they have personality. So I I, I get that. I I really like that. But so let's I want to get back to uh to Dan a little bit. You know, this is all philosophically kind of cool and and I like that, but why burning buildings? Why do you love going after these really big, huge world-like problems? Does this take you back to some of the vision that you had of changing the world for the Peace Corps? I mean, does, does that connect with that? So here's a confession. Okay. I certainly wanted to do good as part of the Peace Corps. But the real thing that drew me into the Peace Corps and the thing that draws me into these particular types of challenges is they are really interesting, rich challenges. Mm. And so I keep getting pulled into places where messiness exists. And messiness is really cool because it's a place where the status quo doesn't rule anymore. And that's the advantage of a burning building. No one's going to be 
complaining about you not taking off your shoes because you're tracking mud through the house. If the building is burning, you can dash in and you can change things. You've got the freedom to reimagine. And that's what makes it so exciting. I mean, aside from the fact that there's a certain rush to being in a place where change is dynamic and exciting, it's also a very empowering environment. Yeah, you don't have to convince people they need to change. The place is burning down. We need we need to do something. Well, ironically, oftentimes, even as the building is burning around them, you sometimes need to convince people that they right. really need to change in response. But it certainly is a much better place to be acting. Yeah. Um, one of the powerful strategies in system innovation is called unbundling and bundling. Mm-hmm. So you basically unbundle the way the world works. You get all the Lego components, and then you rebundle it in new ways. Burning buildings are places where it's easy to unbundle the components. Yeah, so let's talk about this this process of bundling and unbundling and what's needed in an organization and you know tying this into leadership where you know uh, this responsibility of leadership of compassionate accountability focusing on a mission a vision values and moving the company towards certain goals in this chaos and you use the word choreographer and and how you're suggesting not just yourself, but organizations actually have a choreographer within the new organization. Describe what that means in an organization, because I think this is fascinating. Well, think about what we really need to do here. We are basically saying the status quo isn't going to serve us anymore. And so we need to look at all the Legos inside the corporation, potentially Legos outside the organization, and then knit them together in new ways. Top-down control is a bad way to do that. So choreographers are designed to deal with the challenge that organizations face when trying to really respond to a disruptive challenge. They've got to take apart their existing status quo and put it together in new ways, potentially bringing in new parts, new technology, new partners, new goals and missions. And for that, you can't have simple top-down control. You know, you need to be working across the different silos. You need to be imagining things that are different than what you see now. And this is really a different kind of skill set than most organizational leaders in traditional 20th century companies used to have. So you're, you're talking actually, you're talking actually about a, a person. That's in an organization yeah. that fills a role, this choreographer role, that is going to help with this transition process of redefining the organization. Yeah. And if we're really being bold, we don't think of it as a transition process. We think of it as a new way for the organization to work on an ongoing basis, that it's mm-hmm. continually breaking itself apart and reassembling itself in new ways. Which to me, in all these different parts of an organization and the different silos and the different responsibilities and the different human beings, you're going to get a wide variety of acceptance and resistance to these kinds of changes. Absolutely. And that's where the choreographer comes in. So the choreographer really comes in at a whole bunch of different levels. And... They start by being a person who helps people imagine a world that's different than the status quo. So they're big picture thinkers. They see beyond what exists now. 
So they're going to remind people of the vision of what's what's coming and what you know and how we're going to get there. And they're going to help people imagine how they could pull the organization apart and put it together in new ways. Mm. So mm. it's seeing the big challenge, but also seeing the big way that you can put things together. Yeah. Then they're going to help actually get the organization to make that shift. And that means they're going to need to work across boundaries. They're going to need to break with convention. And so instead of being top-down leaders, they're going to be cross-cutting horizontal leaders. And they're going to be working with people in all those different Legos to knit them together in new ways. This, this person is going to require an awful lot of very, very important leadership, communication, interpersonal, and, and emotional intelligence skills, I would guess. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, when you talk about like the skills that traditional schools value, almost none of these are on the list. Exactly. You know, and you hinted at like the third big category of skills. So we talked about, you know, big picture thinking, cross-cutting action. The third is that you really need to be a powerful storyteller mm -hmm. because even if you're offering somebody up a pony, they may not realize it's such a good pony. And so you've got to be able to tell the story about how this future vision, this future world will benefit them, how they'll be successful in it, how the how value will be created. And you've got to tell that story over and over again with a different nuance for every audience that you talk to. Mm. Wow. So the the idea here is to have someone within the organization that becomes kind of the the center of this vision, this reminder of the future, but also someone who can communicate with each one of these individuals to connect them personally and then organizationally to that vision. That, that requires some important skills. Yeah. And yet there are people who are this way, who mm. do do this. The irony is Oftentimes, organizations, particularly organizations with strong top-down control and a focus on optimization, spend their time chasing these people out because they're disruptive. They don't stay in the silo. They don't follow the rules. They're messing with stuff. And as a result, oftentimes the only place you can find these people in a well-run organization is hidden in a corner somewhere trying to not be who they are. Mm. Yeah, I uh, I can remember those situations in my career many times, especially the ones that, and you'll see this happen in organization, we need to change. You'll hear this from the leaders. We'll need to change. Yeah. So you try to create change. They go, what are you doing? Stop that. <laughs> well, and I think it's funny. It's sort of leadership generally has traditional leadership in particular, uh, sort of a short fuse on change, like we need to change and they're behind it for a while. And then at some point you've crossed the line. It's gone on too long. The disruption's too deep. The, you know, complaints are too high and they fall back to, you know, the kinds of values that they had before. And, one of the big things that an executive leader can do to support a choreographer is create a dome of safety around them, you know, so that they have the opportunity to do the job that you've hired them for. Yeah. Yeah. Give them the support and the freedom to do that. And, and there's systems and ways to handle that as well before they make really radical 
changes or to, to talk to the CEO, talk to the executive team and yep. get their support to do things, not just haphazardly go off and do it. This is not, this is not a maverick. This is someone who has the support of the executive leaders to go out and make changes with some support, a lot of support from them. They need that. Yeah. Well, they absolutely need the support and they also need guidance. Mm-hmm. You know, we wouldn't think an executive leader was effective if they provided no guidance to a traditional employee. Yeah. And yet, in sometimes when you hear, you know, discussions around, you know, creative innovators, et cetera, the, the message to leaders is you've just got to leave these people alone. Well, that's not right. These are a key strategic player in your organization. You've got to support and enable them. And yeah, and you've got um, the, the understanding of change and how that affects the human psyche is very, very important that it's done in a way within boundaries so people can see that uh, there's a path to this. Even if there's no path, they, they get a sense that there's a plan and there's a path and that there's a future because the unknown future can be very scary. You know, I think this is where one of the, the key skills of a system innovator who's you know acting in the role of choreographer, oftentimes they don't emphasize the path because like you say, the path is often uncertain you know, and it's changing all the time. But what they do is paint a picture of the destination. Mm-hmm. They tell you what the, what the you know, future city is going to look like. And so even as you wander, you know, back and forth on the path, you know what that destination is going to look like. Absolutely. And that's a powerful form of leadership. It, it, it really is. Uh, in fact, one of the, my favorite books is uh, Switch um, mm-hmm. by uh, Chip and Heath Dean or Dean and Chip Heath. Or, I can never get their names right. But anyway, yes. it's called Switch. And it talks about the, uh, the elephant, the rider, and the path. And the thing you have to focus on is the emotional state of the psyche, which is the elephant. You can't get the elephant to move in a different direction unless you get the elephant to want to go there. And I think the gift choreographers bring is a different way of motivating the elephant. Mm. You know, every executive has to make the elephant go. And some of the executives make the elephant go by saying, if you do this, we will have good, consistent, secure, you know, everything will be the same tomorrow as it is today, but a little bit better. And for some folks, that's a really motivating thing. What a choreographer is able to do is paint a compelling picture of a believable future. And that's good for farsighted elephants. Yeah. Believable future. I think that's a key. So let's let's wrap today up with a question of the past. Mm. Okay. And my question is that I always ask my podcast guests is the same. And that question is, if you could write Dan a letter and send it back to yourself, say 30 or 40 years ago, you had this 40-year path that you've been on. If you could send yourself that letter 30 or 40 years ago, what would that letter tell Dan, the younger Dan McClure? What would you say? Oh, I'd absolutely say you aren't crazy. Oh, yeah. This thing that you want to do, this thing that you are, it isn't a defect. It isn't a, you know, hopeless dream. It is a, it's a thing that eventually you will come to. And the world will come to recognize that it needs. And Mm. I think the great 
luck that I've had in my life is I've grown and matured and, you know, developed my own understanding of what this is for me. But also, conveniently, the world has evolved next to me in a way that needs more of this system innovation. So, as I've gradually figured out how to do my job, my job's become more in demand. Yeah, yeah. And you've become much better at it, which adds yeah. more value, which uh, in today's messy world, as we as we talk about, it uh, it creates that demand coming from the, the opportunity for you, which is which is great. That's great. And I think the thing that I would really highlight here is this isn't just a Dan only. Dan figured out like this special spot for himself in the world. There's a lot of folks like us. There's a lot of choreographers waiting in the wings. Choreographers have been practicing this without sanction. And the future is waiting for this kind of role to really take off. Yeah. Well, I, I've, Dan, I feel like I've, I've met a little bit of a soulmate here in a different way because uh, I work on the messiness of leadership. Yeah. And the work that we do is very messy because, well, we have these things called human beings that we have to deal with every day. And that's really Legos. A, yeah, Lego. That's what a choreographer does. It's a, a leadership position, sometimes with little authority, but a lot of uh, personal power that's needed in order to be able to be effective. So yeah. I want to thank you today for sharing your thoughts and ideas. And I love the work that you're doing. And uh, by the way, I always try to find a title for our podcasts, and I think I've got it. It's a one-trick pony that has value. There we go. There you go. Thank you so much for being our guest today, Dan. I really appreciate your time and your thoughts, your ideas, and your innovation. Thanks for, for being with us. It's been great fun. Thanks very much for letting me join. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks for joining us again on Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. <laughs>